usually it's not good for the preacher to kind of go to pieces right before he's about to preach, but it's hard not to be moved by that kind of worship and by that kind of God. He's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of pouring out your life in sacrificial service to the praise and glory of His name, to the spread of His fame among the nations, that the glory of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's what it's all about as we're the people of God. Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to continue our time in Philippians chapter 2. And let's pray. Heavenly Father God, who is worthy to enter your presence of his own merit? But the Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy, O oh God, to stand before the living God? Apart from Jesus, there's no one, Lord. But in Christ, in Christ we have hope. In Christ we have help. In Christ we have rescue. In Christ, Lord, you create a people and you unite them with yourself so that they might be the people of God. And as we enter into Philippians, Lord, I just pray that you would blow upon this word. I pray that you would meet us. I pray that you would supply the grace and the strength and open our hearts to receive the word of God as it really is the word of God to us. And I pray, Father, as we get in this passage, that you would move upon our hearts and that that we would just be caught up in it. And help me, Lord, to preach self-forgetfully with eyes fixed on Christ and with love for your people and with humility and compassion. And I pray, God, that you would, that you would help us, that we get a word from this passage that would bring peace to our souls. And I pray for your help now. In Jesus' name, amen. Robert Murray McShane, a famous pastor, once said that the greatest gift a preacher can give his people is his holiness. The greatest gift a preacher or a pastor can give his people is his holiness. And I started thinking about that because it's so true. I mean, if you're living it out and you're preaching God's word and you're actually heralding the truth and you're in touch with the reality, that's so different than the hollowness of a life that's not lived out. So Murray McShane was on to something. And then I started thinking about, like, how does that relate to the church, right? And in Philippians, our, our whole passage that we've been wrestling with this past two weeks is all about what it's like to live out Christianity as the church. And so the same is true of the church. The greatest gift 
the church can give the world is to be the holy people of God, living out Christianity as children of God in this world. That's what you were meant to be. You were meant to be the people of God. And Paul has been putting the gospel front and center. Holding up Jesus to us and saying, He's the humble servant who came from heaven. He emptied emptied Himself, taking on the form of a servant. Taking on humanity. Born in a manger. Humbling Himself to the point of death. Even the death of the cross for you and I if we will believe. And then, after He was humiliated on the cross, the Lord rose Him up three days later and exalted Him and gave Him the name above every name because He's Lord of all. For the liberation of the people of God. For all who would call on the name of Jesus would be raised up to newness of life and be given new hearts and the Holy Spirit to begin to live in new ways. And then we got to our passage last week and we we just started seeing, like, how does this work out? How does your Christianity work out in everyday life? And we come to chapter 2 and verse 12 and we just marvel at it again. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And last week we saw that, right? We saw he's working in us. And we're working it out. He's working in us to will and to do His good pleasure. So Christianity is both about the activity of of the people of God living it out and the Spirit of God empowering the work. As you work out in awe of God your salvation with fear and trembling. Living out Christianity full of the Holy Spirit. And we looked at that. And we looked at those realities And this week, we're going to put flesh on that because Paul wants you to get a picture because it's one thing to know the engine that works and and, and runs and fuels gospel ministry in your lives and living out Christianity in everyday life. It's one thing to know that we're to work it out. And then God is working in us, energizing that, strengthening you, And maybe you're weary in here today and you just need a word. He's strengthening you. He's going to keep strengthening you. He's going to send like little arrows into your soul as you breathe in the word of God. Help, encouragement, grace to sustain you. So that you'll live for his good pleasure. And then we get into our text for today. Paul puts some flesh on it and he says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst 
of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. And even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. God means for us to be the people of God. And the Apostle Paul, he's going to charge the Philippians. And indirectly, he's going to charge us as the people of God at Smithfield to be who you are. To be the people of God. To be children of God. To be shining lights in the world around you. To be without grumbling or complaining. To be a sacrificial offering, pouring your life out for your joy. That's where we're headed. And Paul wants you to feel the Old Testament impact of this because he's using language to describe Israel. And the first thing he tells us, the first charge he gives us is do all things without grumbling or questioning or disputing. Verse 14, right? Do all things. That's all things. That's all inclusive. Do all things. That means how you live in your homes, how you live at work, how you interact in church. Do all things. Whether you're a husband or a wife or a daughter or a son, whether you're a coworker, whether you're a boss, whether you're a farmer, whether you're working in the bank, whatever you do, do all things without grumbling and complaining. And questioning. And these words are, are powerful words. The idea of grumbling is this idea of like this, this murmuring, this sort of like, this whispered under your breath grumbling. This it, it all it sounds like what it is, right? Grumble, you know, like it's it's a muttering under your breath in a complaint. It's that that anger being expressed low grade in your heart and in your soul as you're unhappy about a situation and you want somebody to know about it, but it's under your breath. It's a murmur. Or disputing or this idea of questioning. It's not that God's saying, you know, don't, don't ever question me. Don't ever ask me anything. But it's this idea of sinful questioning. It's this idea of like putting God in the dock or in the courtroom and saying, now I'm going to call you to, you to account because I don't like what's happening. Have you ever struggled with this reality, right? Of grumbling. You're unhappy with a situation. And you begin to grumble. And it plays out in your spheres of life. It plays out at home. It plays out in church. Have you ever disputed? You're angry. You're really angry at God. But this disputation, this sort of 
this sort of calling sinfully into question God's purposes in your life. He's saying, do all things without this grumbling or complaining. In other words, live like Jesus did for the joy that was set before him. He poured his life out sacrificially, not grumbling. When he went to the cross, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't argue. He submitted willfully. He laid down his life willfully. He did not speak a word at his defense. But he laid it down. He didn't grumble. He didn't complain. He's the opposite of what Israel did in the wilderness. And so Paul's bringing this up because he's bringing this mental image. And we read in our scripture reading earlier, right? We read this picture of Israel in the book of Exodus. They just witnessed. Can you imagine this? Just get your minds into this. Israel had just witnessed God put down the most powerful nation on the planet and the most powerful man on the planet with ten plagues. Frogs, lice, boils, darkness, hail. And ultimately, the death of the firstborn. When the angel of death passed over. And the only reason Israel's firstborns were not smited that night when the judgment of God came is because they had the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts. And they witnessed all of that. And Pharaoh let the people of Israel go because he was humbled by the sovereign God of the universe. And Israel heads out. And what happens? Pharaoh gets angry again and he chases them. And God parts the Red Sea and they go through on dry land and the army of Pharaoh is swallowed. They're witnessing all of this. Could you imagine if you were there? And then they're in, in the land, living pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day, provision, manna from heaven, quail coming out of nowhere because God was feeding his people and teaching them to trust him. And what do they do? But they begin to murmur and complain and they're ready to stone Moses. They're, they're just ready to stone Moses. And Moses, Moses is the one who led them out. Moses is the one who intercedes for them. And they're complaining and murmuring. And then ultimately it comes to God. And there's this murmur and this complaining. It's as if Israel, you've seen those cartoons where, where the kids are, uh, or, or, or it's like a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon or something like that. And the kid is, is sitting down and he's like, I, I, I'm sitting down, but I want you to know that I'm standing up on the inside. I'm standing up on the inside. That's, that's murmuring. That's complaining. That's disputing. That's letting them know I'm going to do what you want, but I'm not happy about it. And that's the people of Israel who were supposed to be the people of God, but they are grumbling against the Lord. Listen to this in Exodus chapter 16. 
So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but it's against the Lord. Moses was telling, he's telling them, listen, your problem is with God. And what's happening in Philippians is Paul is tapping into something about Israel that we're not always aware of. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. Israel was supposed to be that which displayed what it meant to be the people of God who lived under the promises of God and the adoption of God and the, had the covenants and the word and the prophets. But they did not live like the people of God. They grumbled and they murmured and a whole generation wasted away in the wilderness because of their grumbling and their murmuring even after all of these miraculous things. And we read in Corinthians that sharp, penetrating word, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Beloved, we're called to destroy grumbling with gratitude unto God. To live trusting the Lord. You want to know what kills grumbling in the soul? When you trust the Lord Jesus Christ. When you humble yourself and you put your trust in Him and you believe the promises of God. That banishes grumbling from your heart. You can't be full of faith and grumble at the same time. Faith or, or grumbling and disputing with God is a sign that something's wrong in your soul. The murmuring comes from not trusting, not believing. And so Paul's like, listen, he, he's all about their obedient living. He's all about them living and working out what God's working in. And he's saying, don't do anything with grumbling, but live out the Christian life as the children of God. He's saying, do what Israel failed to do. They were supposed to be the light. And guess who's the light now? The church. Jesus Christ came to make a people distinct and different with new hearts, with the Holy Spirit inside of them so they could actually live out the Christian life. And you're like, I, I don't know about that, Peter. <laughs> but that's actually what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you're going to do what Israel didn't. Live as the children of God. Look, look at the flow of the argument in the text. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that. There's a purpose clause here. 
Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He said, not only do I not want you to live like they lived, but I want you to live as children of God without blemish. The very thing that is the indictment that Moses brings on the people of God is that they blemish themselves, that they stain themselves, that they went after idols, that they forsook the living God. Not so with you, Philippians. Not so with you, Smithfield. You live for the God as the people of God, empowered by the, the God who works in you, the willing and doing for His good pleasure. You say, no, I... I that's too, that's too high a calling. I can't do it. Now, blamelessness does not mean sinless perfection. How, how many of us know that that's not going to happen this side of heaven? Sinless perfection is coming when we're glorified. But right now, we're wrestling. We're putting to death with a gospel stake. Drive right through the heart of your grumbling. A gospel stake knowing that you're a blood-bought child of God that has the Spirit of God and you can live a different way. You can live joyfully. You can live full of gratitude. You can live, verse 13 says, for His good pleasure because it's God who works in you. The willing and doing. And notice that he said, this idea of, of blemish or living innocent or blameless, those are all kind of synonyms saying, there, there shouldn't be, you shouldn't be able to point at a Christian and say, there's just gross evil flowing out of that person. But instead, they should be like shining lights. They should be like Alpha Centauri, you know, like two times brighter than the sun, lighting up the sky, pointing to Jesus. The Christian should, the, the church should be like a, like a, a lighthouse lighting up the gospel of Jesus Christ in a dark world. And as sinners and, and, and passerbys are coming, loaded down with sin, and they're ready to smash against the rocks of God's judgment, the church shines the light of the gospel in the world and says, there's a Savior. He can rescue you from your sins. If you're weighed down in your sins and you're here today, know that there's a rescue. There's a rock. There's a spiritual rock who was slain on our behalf. And He rose up out of the grave to give life to the weary sinner who is headed for destruction. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him, what? should not perish, but have eternal life. That's right. Should not perish on the rocks of the just judgment of a holy God. And it is coming. And we are the light of the world. We're the city on a hill. We're, we're the, the, the beacon going out with gospel hope. We're the luminaries, the light, and the stars give light so you can see other things too. And so there's this play on words here. You be light. 
but you point to the light of the world. You be light in the world. You live as the people of God. You live as the blood-bought, adopted children of God. But you point to the Son of God who came to redeem a people unto himself. Are you feeling the, 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 the beauty and the grandeur and the glory of what it means to be the people of God? Do you know the holy privilege that you have if you're a child of God and you've been brought into the family of God? Do you know the rescue that's come for your soul that you'll stand before God one day and, and shine like the sun? And that the whole creation, Romans 8 reminds us, is standing up like on tippy toes, waiting, longing for redemption. And every earthquake and every plague and every horrible thing that goes wrong in our sin-cursed world is crying out for the redemption that will happen one day when the sons and daughters of God are glorified. Do you know what that means? That means glory is coming for the people of God. So shine as lights in the world as a city on a hill. Be the children of God. Be what Israel wasn't. And live in the midst of what? A crooked and perverse generation. Now Moses is going to say in Deuteronomy chapter 32 that Israel has become a crooked and perverse generation because of their grumbling and their idolatry and all of that. And he's going to pronounce, you're crooked, you're perverse, you're twisted. And that very language is used of Israel. And, 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 and Paul is saying, no, Philippians, you're different. You're the children of God. You're shining as lights in the world in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And verse 15 says, who's the crooked and perverse generation? Well, it's the city of Philippi. Or it's our city. Or it's the world in which we live. And what does Jesus say all through the Gospels when people ask him for a sign? He says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. Or he says stuff like, a crooked and twisted generation asks for a sign. But you're going to get the sign of Jonah. Because there was one who was coming who will be buried in the earth three days after he's crucified and he will rise to give life and there's no hope for this generation. There's no hope for any of us apart from a crucified Messiah who rose to glory and was exalted by the Father. And we are in Him, beloved. We are in Him. We are in the Son. If you are in the Son, you can live as the people of God should because you have a new heart. You can live as children of God, verse 15 says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And Peter, the Apostle Peter, what does he say? In his first sermon, he preaches the gospel and says, you're a crooked and perverse generation and you crucified the Lord of glory and they're cut to the heart. They're cut to the heart, the very heart. And they say, what shall we do? What shall we do? Repent and believe the gospel. Look to the Son and live. Peter uses this language 
This is, this is the calling that we have. We are to declare the truths of God, right? We're living as children of God in the midst of a world that is in darkness. The Apostle John would say in his letter, he would say this of the people of God, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we shall be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. First John chapter three, verses one through three. Because you're the people of God, you're going to purify yourself knowing one day you're going to stand before the Lord and you're going to see him as he is. And so live accordingly now. One day you're going to be glorified. One day you're going to stand before God and give an account. So be the people of God. In the midst of a dark world. There's hope. For us where Israel had failed because the life-giving son has saved us, rescued us, adopted us, and made us a part of the family of God. Do you understand what it means that we're adopted in Christ? It means that everything that we have, that God has to give us, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms has been given to us in Christ. He's chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians says, to be holy and without blame. And Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5 says, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace. So you want to know what it means to be adopted into God's family? You didn't belong in his family. You were estranged from the family of God. You weren't a part of his family. And he took his son and crucified him on a cross so that you could be brought in, so that you could have the promises, you could have the blessing, you could have the redemption, you could have the hope, you could be holy and without blame. And there's our language from verse 15. Holy and without blame in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Do you know what it means to be the child of God? It is a glorious privilege. It means he's never going to leave you or forsake you. It means the spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, then you're an heir. And if you're an heir of God, everything he has is yours in Christ. And one day you'll inherit the earth. Everybody in this world is chasing after stuff that does not matter. That's going to fade away. But the people of God have an, an everlasting inheritance. Oh, live as the people of God because of what he's done for you. And because what's coming is glorious. And so purify yourselves and live holy in this world with gospel effort, faith-fueled, faith-driven obedience, full of the Holy Spirit. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Charge number three is to hold fast to the word. 
of life. Look at this in verse 16. Paul says, holding fast. This is what the church at Philippi should do. Holding fast to the word of life. Why? So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He's saying, hold on to the word of God. Hold on to the, the, the word of life. And what's the word of life? It's the gospel. What's the word of life? But the gospel that brings life. That's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Paul is saying we've got to hold on to the gospel and that there's some ambiguity in the word. It can mean hold on or hold forth. And both are true. We've got to hold on and preserve the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a pastor's job is to do is to rightly divide the word and hold on to the gospel and preserve the, the gospel. And, and all through the pastoral epistles, pastors are charged to, to guard the good deposit of faith. Hold on to the gospel. Smithfield Baptist Church, hold on to the gospel. Keep it. Believe it. Live it. Are you struggling with difficulties in your life? You're struggling with hopelessness? You're struggling with anxiety? You're struggling with fear? Hold on to the gospel. And the best way to hold on to it is to hold it forth. The best way to hold on to it is to declare it. Preach it to yourself and preach it to others. Preach it. Sometimes you've got to talk to yourself. You've got to talk gospel talk to yourself. I'm, I'm just, I'm mis if you listen to yourself, that's half of our problems. We listen to ourselves, we get down, and we get the blues, and we're just like wavering because we haven't held on. We haven't preached the gospel to her. We haven't hold, held it forth. You want to shine? Hold on, hold fast to the gospel. Sometimes you have to share the gospel with yourself. Sometimes you got to share the gospel with your spouse. Remind them of those truths. Remind one another. Sometimes you got to share the gospel with your kids, the gospel with your parents, the gospel with your uh, fellow uh, uh, schoolmates, the gospel with your coworkers. This is what it means to hold forth the word of life. And then Paul's saying here, here's the purpose of it in verse 15, or uh, sorry, verse 16 right here, right? He says, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud. And the day of Christ is when Jesus is coming back and there's going to be a judgment and we're going to receive the good things that the Lord has purpose for us on that day. All the works that we've done for him will remain and everything else will be burned up. All that we've done with, for Christ will remain. And Paul's saying, listen, there's nothing that's going to give me more joy and more delight and more boasting before the Lord is that one day I'm going to be able to look at Philippi and say, they have, they've kept the faith. They've continued it in the gospel. They've held it forth. They've been lights. You remember, this is the first city in Europe that gets the gospel and explodes into a church and begins to bring the gospel to Europe. And it started with a slave girl and a, a, a seller of purple and a Philippian jailer. 
of just a motley crew of people that you would not have expected to get saved. And sometimes we forget that when we hold forth the gospel, the power of God can save anybody. Lest we think that somehow it's up to us. So when you do gospel to every home and you're holding forth the word of life, it's not up to you to, to, to save anybody. But it is up to you to hold forth the word of life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Watch what God does with the powerful word of life as you share it. God says, my word will not come back void, but it shall do the work that I please it to do. And sometimes it's going to harden people and they're going to resist it. And sometimes it's going to break in and bring life to their souls. And there's no more joy than to see somebody come to know Jesus in a saving way. I remember the first person that, that I began to be really intentional about sharing the gospel with was a, a, a friend in the Marine Corps. And he was Mormon. And I was bringing the gospel and he was like, well, if you come to my church, I'll come to your church. And I was like, all right, but me first. <laughs> so we, 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 we ended up going to church and I'm praying for him. And, and it wasn't just the bringing to church. It was ongoing conversations. And I had never like read the Bible all the way through. I was a brand new Christian, but I love Jesus. And I just want to hold forth the gospel. And I remember one day we we're in my, my barracks and I remember just distinctly sharing the gospel with him, bringing forth John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? Have you trusted in that? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Have you been rescued from the judgment that's coming upon sinners? And he was awakened that day. I remember just him kneeling down and praying and asking the Lord to come into his life. And, 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 and he, he literally leapt from praying into like an ecstatic jumping about. It made me think of, you know, the book of Acts where you've got the, the guy at the gate beautiful and he's paralyzed. And Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And he just started jumping all over the place. And nobody could deny the powerful work of God in his life. And you know that brother got saved. There's nobody who can do what Jesus does when you hold forth the word of life. There's nobody who can do in somebody's soul. doesn't matter how far gone they are. And I want the testimony of Smithfield Baptist Church in your lives to have the echo of Acts chapter 17 when... Peter and Silas, or Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel and everybody, all the Jews are upset because people are getting saved. And they're like, these men have flipped the world upside down. That was their accusation. That is a good charge to be leveled against the church. Flip the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hold forth the, the, the word of life. And then... On the day of Christ, verse 16 says, there's going to be boasting. And Paul 
glory to him. There's nothing that's going to give me more joy than to see the fruit of gospel ministry going out. And on the last day, there's going to be just like, like this glorious work remaining and praising God for his good pleasure. And you get to be a part of that as you go out. It's meant to be proclaimed. And there's no greater joy, really, than, than proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and watching lives get changed. There's no greater, unless you get saved yourself, there's no greater joy, right? Than seeing somebody else enter eternity with the Lord <laughs> when, when they were in darkness. It's a miracle. And it's just faith building, faith fueling. And it makes you want to pour your life out. And that's the last thing Paul addresses in this passage. He's pouring out his life. The Philippians are pouring out their lives sacrificially. Joyful, sacrificial service. Look at verses 17 and 18 as we wrap up. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice in me. Now, it's obvious Paul is after our joy in all of this letter. But did you know that your sacrificial, self-denying, pouring yourself out obedience is actually something that will produce joy in your soul and is the way you were meant to live? We don't think that way. We think if I deny myself, I'm going to be like a joyless curmudgeon and that's going to make me grumble. And the opposite is true. When you live trying to just live for yourself, you are miserable. You're a grumbler. You're a complainer. You dispute because things don't go your way. But man, when you live self-sacrificially and you pour yourself out, just like Jesus' pattern, right? He emptied himself. He poured himself out all the way to the cross for the joy that was set before him, just like Jesus did. That brings joy in the soul. And Paul is using this language here in verse 17 of a drink offering and a sacrificial offering of your faith. Have you heard that language before in Scripture? This idea of we're a living sacrifice. Where else have we heard that? Paul talks like that other places. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, right? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You want to know what it means to give worship to God? Present yourself as a living sacrifice, pouring yourself out daily. What does Jesus say? It means to be a disciple. Take up your cross and follow me. He who, who would save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. What a paradox. When you deny yourself and you come to Jesus and you take up your cross. Lord, I'm going to follow you no matter where you take me. I'm going to pour my life out for you. Oh, life. Joy, peace, liberty, the slavery and the grumbling come when you try to do it on your own for yourself. To make much of you. 
But Paul would say, listen, I'm going to pour myself out on top of your sacrifice. Look at this. This is so good. Paul says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Now, I, I read that a few times. and I, it, You know, you, you're not going to get a hold of it until you really kind of start thinking about it. But a drink offering was an offering that was poured on top of the burnt offerings in the Old Testament um, sacrificial system. So it was like over and above. It's like, it's like a drink offering that, that's like a, a, a libation. And what it would do is it would burn and it would bring this aroma up, this sweet-smelling aroma. Typically it was wine, and, 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 and it would bring this aroma up. And Paul is saying, I'm going to pour my life out on top of your sacrificial service. And even if it means that one day I actually am martyred, because he was in jail right now, and he was on trial, and it was possible that he could be executed. And one day, Paul is executed. And he's saying, my sacrifice will be but a drink offering on top of the sacrifice of your lives. When you lay your life down to live for the glory of Christ, and, and you're laying your lives down for one another, and you're, you're living for each other, you're living sacrificially in these new heart sort of ways, you are like an aroma to God, a pleasing aroma. It's like a good grill out, right? You got the barbecue going and it's just sweet aroma. There's nothing that draws my attention more than a little bit of, you know, barbecue smell going on. Right? I'm just like, oh, <laughs> I want to be in that house. That's, that's the kind of stuff that's going on in our lives. Up as an aroma to God as you pour your life out. And it's no wonder that that's going to bring joy in your soul. So next time you have to deny yourself to serve somebody else, remember that it's for your joy. And it, it's a sweet aroma unto God. That might mean picking up the phone and calling somebody that you haven't talked to in a long while or who's suffering and bring a word of encouragement. It might mean making a meal and bringing it over to somebody. It might mean going out of your way to inconvenience your schedule to share the gospel with that family member that needs it. Do all things without grumbling. Live as the children of God in this world. Shine as lights radiant in this world. Hold fast to the word of life and pour your lives out. Brothers and sisters, the scripture is riddled and church history is riddled with people, with great men and women who just poured themselves out. The Apostle Paul ends up getting beheaded at Rome for the sake of the gospel. He poured his whole life out. He was beaten many times. He was flogged many times. He was shipwrecked. He was miserable out there living like hungry at times. Just beat up. Probably dejected. He was in prison multiple times. And this time in Philippi, just one of the many times he was in prison. But I still just can't get over the fact that he's in Philippi in a jail and he's singing at midnight praises and hymns to the living God. And that only happens when you get this passage in your soul. And it's baked in and it's blazed out 
in how you live and how you see the world. This is reality shaping truth to live your life by. And it's meant for the good of your soul. And so many men have spilt their blood. So many women have spilt their blood on the mission field, have poured themselves out, have some of them died young. Robert Murray McShane died at age 28. He pastored seven years. And he had such a beautiful impact in those seven years that books were written about him in a seven-year ministry. And people quote him all the time. He says stuff like, for every look that you, you take at yourself, you better take ten looks at Jesus. Or the pastor's holiness is the greatest gift he can give his people. He's a man who poured himself out and died of health complications, getting sick and dying, I think it was of tuberculosis or something like that, died young, but he was a shining star. And for 28 years, he shined to the glory of Christ. May God work that into our souls. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for this word. I thank you for this passage. It's such an encouragement to our souls and it's food to live by. And I pray, Father, that you would help us now. And if there um, are hearts that have been heavy, that you would lift them up right now, that your, that your word would be encouraging and building up. And Lord, that you would send us like lights into the world, like radiant lights for your glory. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to remember these truths and to work out our salvation our own salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in us, the willing and doing, and that we would live sacrificially, pouring ourselves out for your glory. And I pray that you would minister to anybody who does not know to you right now, Lord, that, that they would be considering and pondering, what is this? What is this glorious thing that I've heard about Jesus? And, 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 and that they would take in their soul the words of Jesus to heart, that for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And oh, that they would come to the son and get life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.